The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com events where you can get your tickets. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's Wednesday, July the 25th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. In a little while, I'll be joined by our reporter, Connor Gallagher, who is currently at the McGill Summer School in Glenties, also by our social affairs correspondent, Kitty Holland, who was at a very different kind of summer school last weekend. And we'll be talking about the summer school as a phenomenon and whether it's fit for purpose or perhaps needs to be reinvented in modern Ireland. But first, I'm joined by our deputy political editor, Fia Kelly. Fiak, it's clearly July because people are talking a lot about the uh, the upcoming presidential contest and it does seem there will be a contest now. Yeah, it does. Um, we've had a flurry of people declaring and then, you know, pulling out of the Why race. Why are you laughing? Because uh, it's just the usual, you know, preamble to a presidential election. You have every Tom and, Tom and Jack, you know, and Jill letting it be known they're thinking about this, they're speaking to their people and they're going to come back and tell us if they're going to run I think for president. the time has come now for me actually to state that I, I, I won't be I'm glad. this time. I, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you did that because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, what was then an aspirant candidate speaking about the presidency for three days later to declare that he indeed himself was thinking of running for the presidency, but then stood back yesterday. Of course, I refer to our columnist, Noel Whelan, who is now say he's one of a number of people who has said that he's not running for the presidency. Noel is added to the list that includes Jared Crockwell, Liam O'Neill, the former GAA president, uh, Christy Burke, the former Lord Mayor of Dublin, and, uh, well, Panty Bliss said she would not run for the election this time. She did not run out or a run in the future. Well, she's already Queen of Ireland. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So the field is kind of, we're now down to the situation where you're kind of seeing who's serious and who's not. Like, you know, who is in it for the laugh and who's in it to actually contest. So it looks like now we have Joan Freeman, an independent senator and founder of Pieta House, the suicide awareness charity. We have Gavin Duffy um, of Dragon's Den fame and a businessman and consultant is pretty serious about it. As well, uh, Porrick O'Kadig, another independent senator, is also serious about it, although I spoke to him yesterday and he seemed to be striking quite a pessimistic note about how difficult it is for an independent and how difficult Porrick it's going, yeah, how difficult it's going mm. to be in this election. Uh, and then we have Sinn Féin, who have, ma- who have decided to stand a candidate, but they haven't yet told us who the candidate 
is... Uh, okay, can we, can we go through those one by... Yep. I think Joan Freeman's name will be unfamiliar to, to many people. It, yes, but her cause is not. I think that's what she's hoping uh, will help her in the race. So most people are aware of, if not Pieta House, certainly Darkness into Light, which is the walk, you know, where people get up at all hours in the morning, walk sure. it, 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 from darkness into dawn to raise money and awareness for Pieta House and people in, in mental health difficulties. I think most people are aware of that now. It has grown massively in the last few years to where you have hundreds of thousands of people, I think, taking part in various darkness and light marches over uh, across Ireland and elsewhere. And I think if you, she sent a letter, she had a number of letters in recent days to county councillors. One, her, one last week was an idea of where she's pitching herself and she's talking about basing her presidency on volunteerism and the virtues of volunteerism and people who are active in the community. Well, sounds very like A.D. Roach's campaign. Sounds very like that and there are similarities between the two. Um, now, A.D. Roach didn't get on quite well when the presidential election proper started. Well, she essentially, was, isn't yeah. it true that the, effectively the, the Labour Party at the time latched on to this kind of fluffy vision of A.D. Yeah. Roach and the wonderful work that she'd done and thought that that would coast them through to the presidency and it turned out it turned that out it's, a, it's a tougher gig than that. And she got quite the mauling in the election hmm. as, as it turned out. Um, now, Joan Freeman what, is an independent senator. She was largely sponsored by Micheál Martin, I think, as part of the compliment supply deal. He requested that she go into the, in, into the Senate. Now, she seems to be have the backing of a number of TDs who, so like Matty McGrath is very strong, pro-life TD is one of her heaviest supporters in Leinster House. And is that an is that an element of her appeal? Uh, we're not quite sure yet. There has been some talk about that, that she would maybe fo- trying to focus on the 30% of people who voted no in the recent referendum but she hasn't said that that's just speculation uh, in political circles she she we have yet to hear from her in detail being quite honest she's written a number of letters to councils but we've heard nothing more now there is a meeting of Waterford city and council city and county council next tuesday at which they've invited people to come and just address them rather than making a decision on whether they'll allow them into the race or not and we're expecting gavin duffy anyway to address that meeting and possibly joan freeman and just the mechanics of this are that realistically Perhaps one non-party candidate might be nominated by the Oireachtas members because there's sufficient number of independent Oireachtas mm. members to carry out that. The other ones will need to go to the county councils and get four councils Yeah, you need to, to get four councils to, to, to basically pass a motion supporting your nomination. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they will support you in the election. They're just letting you into mm. the race. And many a candidate in the past has kind of you know, fallen for that. They'd be like, well, this council has supported me and Councillor X has said they're going to let me into the race, therefore they're backing me. Not quite. It just means they're, they've decided to facilitate your entry. So I think Joan Freeman would probably balk the council nomination at this stage. Gavin Duffy is highly likely to get a council nomination as well. He seems to have 10 or 11 councils in mind where he's going to really focus on. And what, what's he standing on? We don't yet know. Um, again, we're waiting to hear. Yet, yet, yeah, he's yet to formally declare. We're expecting him to formally declare ahead of this meeting of the city and county council in Waterford next week, and he will have to say there what he wants his approach to be. So, as well with those two, we have Pork O'Kadic, who people in Leicester House believe he is the more likely to get an Oireachtas nomination if he wants to, and then we have Sean Gallagher floating around the background writing letters to county councillors that say they're not short of pen pals these days, uh, saying that they must exercise their democratic mandate, etc, etc, etc. And people, you know, the usual people close to Sean Gallagher are now saying, oh, well, he's been astounded by the response he's got in recent weeks and he's more leaning towards standing now than not. So the field is yet to fully form, but we could I, have I, 2011 I all over insulting, again. I but I remember it was, um, I think, at the, uh, the last... Uh, one of the American presidential primaries, there was talk of the seven dwarfs uh, in terms of the, the, the contest which was out there. I mean, these are not 
significant public figures. I know that Sean Gallagher almost got elected the last time, so that shows you can go from you the can starting do start it. to be a, and to look, be a they're, real contender. Yeah, they're not, but there probably is a significant section of voters who appreciate that Michael D. Higgins has done a good job, like him, but may say seven years is enough. And they need a candidate to support and they need someone to latch on to. So I suppose the, the jostling amongst those candidates now is to be that person, to be the person who people who like Michael D. Higgins believe he's done enough, want to support. And I think that's where it's at. And there is a thing that, you know, they may not be public figures, but they will get to, to, to talk to the public uh, for the next two months about themselves, their vision, what they want the presidency to be. That's why Sinn Féin are largely running because they just want to talk about themselves. Uh, who's in the who's in the mix for Sinn Féin? There's t- two names doing the rounds mostly. One is John Finucane, the Belfast solicitor, uh, and then the other is Leonie Rita, their Munster MEP. Um, but people, I think, are leaning towards Leonie Rita maybe as the more likely candidate. She hasn't ruled it out. And, you know, strategists in the party have been saying look if we were to get an ideal candidate it would be a woman who can speak to modern Ireland to contrast with an older man in Michael D um, so they haven't yet told us there is a, a quite intriguing theory which I, I wouldn't entirely discount that Sinn Féin already know who their their candidate is but they're not telling us because if they told us now there'd be a summer of focusing on the merits and the past of that individual they will, will not say who they're standing until September which is probably correct I would think and if you were to look into your crystal ball for me what kind of a contest do you think this is going to be? And I think I'm right in saying this will be the first um, time a sitting president is running in an election, a presidential mm. election, in 50 years. Yes, since 1966. Since 66, since Devil versus Tom O'Higgins and lost are won by 10,000 votes. It, it was much closer than it had been anticipated. It was much, much closer because mm. De Valera largely relied upon the stature of his office in the year of the 50th anniversary of the Rising. Uh, you know, he was attending events as president, you know, repeatedly attending events as president, and Tom O'Higgins had a much more vigorous campaign, campaign that we would have, we would recognise more so now as a normal political campaign. It largely depends on Michael D. He is going to set the weather of this campaign. What he decides to do, the rest of the candidates will have to react to. So at the moment, it looks like he's not going to do any campaigning until the presidential order is signed, which is going to be around probably September, and that means the election is on. And then he has to decide, do I want to take part in debates? Do I go around the country canvassing? I, he still has to fulfil the, the, the responsibilities and the duties of his office. So it's going to depend on him. I find it hard to see how he could get away with not doing, being interviewed in television, not doing debates. But does he go around, does he put a posters, for example? Does he go around canvassing, in, in, in like, you know, as is usually the case in presidential elections? You, you turn up in the county town, you do a walk better in the main street or shopping centre, you do an interview at the local radio station slash local paper. Does he do that type of thing? So the rest of the candidates are going to have to react to him. And, you know, if they goad him enough, I would say that he will not be able to help himself from getting into the fray because he's, he has that temperament that we haven't seen in the last seven years because he's been ensconced in the Irish, but he's a feisty operator. Last question. There's no Fine Gael candidate. There's no Fianna Fáil candidate. Does any of this matter for the broader landscape of Irish politics over the next year or two years? Not really, uh, because, you know, Micheál Martin has been hit with this repeatedly in the last few weeks. You know, you're, the fact that you're not running a candidate shows a lack of ambition on your on your behalf. Uh, you know, what effect will have in the next election? He quite accurately said, well, presidential elections don't really matter to a large extent in the next general election. Well, it did in 1990 because the Labour Party used the Mary, election of Mary Robinson as a springboard to the spring tide two years later. Look back in 2011, Fine Gael came off the back of a thumping general election win. Gay Mitchell barely registered. Uh, 
there was no Fianna Fáil candidate. Fianna Fáil then went on to recover in the subsequent local and general elections. So it doesn't really have an effect. People see it as separate. The only danger is, is that it allows Sinn Féin and others. There is no discernible candidate of the left now with amongst all these people we've spoken of. Mm-hmm. So it allows Sinn Féin to cast itself again as the anti-establishment party of the left who are going to shake up the system. That's the only political... Uh, I suppose lingering effect I can see this campaign as of now I lied about that being the last question because we're going to be talking in a minute about the McGill Summer School and Michal Martin had a cut at Leo Varadkar again up there a couple of days ago and that's on foot of some pretty grim poll numbers for Fianna Fáil at the weekend too does all this lead to the conclusion that Fianna Fáil won't be wanting a general election in the next 12 months? I don't think so. I think if you look at it, um, Fine Gael are, are cock a hoop at the moment. A weekend poll had them 13 points ahead of Fianna Fáil, had them on an astonishing 41% in Dublin. Um, Fianna Fáil is pretty downtrodden at the moment after the referendum. Um, whatever good vibes they'd managed to build up within the party after the referendum before some re- recess were dispelled. And I think Leo Varadkar in asking them to agree to hold an election summer of 2020 knows they are weak and knows he can either force them to extend the confidence supply agreement or provoke them into causing an election which he believes they will lose and they believe they will lose. So there is a bit of an acceptance now in Fianna Fáil that the best thing for them to do is to stick to what they have and, you know, will it be a year's extension? Leo Records really talking about a budget, one more budget, a budget. Or, take it to the, take to it to the budget the, at the end of 2019. 2019, which gets to 2020, 2020 and then like it's much of a much as spring or summer or whatever it is. But I think given... Uh, the issue of how Brexit is going to develop over the next three to six months. Michal Martin himself has said publicly Brexit is a hugely important issue. And one person, Fianna Fáil, putting, uh, I suppose, a brighter gloss on it than the fact that they're low in the polls and they, they will not do well at the moment if there's a general election, we assume, given the way the polls are, said that we haven't spent the last three to four years building up our reputation for responsibility to allow that to be trashed by getting the blame of a general election the teeth of Brexit pinned on us and I think that tells you everything you need to know. All right, stick with us. We'll be joined by Kitty Holland and by Conor Gallagher from Glenties. You're listening to the Irish Times. Conor Gallagher, you are a McGill virgin, if that's not too leading uh, a phrase. This is your first visit to the summer school in Glenties. How has it been for you? And it's been interesting in a lot of ways. I've never been to something like this and as I'm sure most people haven't been to something like this. It's a you know, there's probably between the days, there's probably about a hundred people per session. There's four sessions a day. Each session discusses a different topic. So far, it's it's usually been Brexit and the future of Ireland post Brexit and the rise of populism, those kind of themes. Um, they're long old days. You know, it starts at 11 usually, usually finishes up at 11 p.m. Um, and the topics they discuss are I mean the format is uh, each person has a script that they read out and then there's a kind of a Q&A from the audience so you've got people like I mean on, on Friday we, or on Sunday we had uh, Bertie Hearn uh, giving a speech the annual Hume lecture in memory of John Hume um, and he spoke about the dangers of Brexit going forward um, usually Sunday is actually the Taoiseach night as they call it apparently and you'd have the current serving Taoiseach uh, up here, but but that doesn't seem to be the case this year. And indeed, it wasn't the case last year. Um, Monday, we had Simon Coveney. Um, and throughout the rest of the week, we have a smattering of TDs and, and MEPs and former MEPs and general secretaries and retired civil servants and that sort of stuff. 
Um, I suppose one thing that's been pointed out to me uh, is that the, 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 the there's there's very few members of the cabinet here for one thing, whereas in previous years you would have um, most of the cabinet up here throughout the whole week um, uh, talking in different things. Um, this year it, it was only Simon Coveney and a, a few opposition TDs. Um, so I suppose there's there's maybe a sense that it's um, possibly losing a bit of its luster or a bit of its relevance. Um, I'm not sure. As you said, I'm a McGill virgin. Did, did it ever really have luster? I mean, we were up there at the podcast a couple of years ago and, you know, Glenties is a lovely place and all that. But, I mean, even for the likes of us who, God knows, if, if anybody likes noodling on about politics, we do. Uh, we do. It, I mean, you described there, it goes on for six or seven days, you know, 12 hours a day. It's a bit much, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's the other thing, you know, the very fact that it's in such a remote place, beautiful place, but remote place, um, you know, it's a, nearly a four hour drive getting up here. Um, public transport is is, is next to non-existent. Um, it means that there's only a certain type of people who can come up here. And indeed, a lot of the people who come up here work it around their holidays um, and, you know, come up here for pleasure rather than work. Um, I don't want to be ageist about it, but does it, do they tend to, do they tend to be of the silver-haired variety? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. You know, I'd, if I had to put an average age on it, I'd say it's 60 plus. Um, like there's very few young people here and they'd probably be the first to admit it. There's very few people, you know, uh, from disadvantaged areas here. There's very few people from outside Dublin here, to be honest with you. Um, as, as someone was saying to me last night, you know, this isn't Donegal, this is Dublin 4 um, for this week anyway. Uh, in terms of, like, did it ever have its luster, I've been talking to people who said, you know, at the height of the recession, when things were dark and, you know, the bank guarantee and that sort of stuff, it, it was quite vibrant because... No one knew what was coming around the corner. You had Brian Lenehan coming up here and laying out how he was going to save the country and that sort of stuff. So people have kind of nearly looking back on that with a, a um, with a tear in their eye about how interesting and about how like you know, especially from you know a journalist point of view, how like there was these fantastic news lines that you get out of it. But you know now, and maybe it's been like this for a while. It just seems to be talking about the same issues that we're talking about on prime time. And in all other public debate spaces throughout the year with the same people, um, except this time they're only talking to each other in a room in Glenties. Yeah, Kitty, you were at a rather different summer school uh, last weekend in Dublin 8. Yeah, um, it was uh, as a new summer school um, called the Danielle Carroll Summer School. And it was named after um, a young mother who took her own life in emergency accommodation last year. Um and obviously there was a huge reaction at the time to her death. Well, reasonable reaction. Maybe it didn't get the kind of, it didn't cause the kind of shock and horror it should have done. But um, it was, so it was named after this uh, young woman um, and her family were there and they spoke, her sister spoke incredibly movingly about it. I was kind of doing a Q&A with her and by the end I, we had to take a break because I was close to tears and people were sobbing in the audience. She read out a letter that Danielle had written to the local authorities at Dublin County Council, um, sort of begging really for her um, circumstances to be taken into consideration in her um, seeking a, a home for her two, two young children and talking about how desperate. And what you really got from the letter was how powerless and how desperate she was. Um, and it was inc- incredibly moving. Um, but we also heard um, from, it was all women speakers, 
And it was, um, I suppose, apart from myself and maybe one or two other speakers, um, largely working class women speakers. Um, and I suppose it was looking at the, um, things that were very different to the McGill Summer School in that it was looking at the sort of systemic structural obstacles to women and particularly disadvantaged women to, to taking part in society in a way that I suppose people up at McGill would be taking part in it. Um, um, domestic violence, homelessness, um, the, the power of the church in the past. There was a speaker talking about the impact of the Magdalene laundries on women still in Ireland. Um, so looking at all those issues, so a very different event. Um, and Mick, Mick Call, who's a social democrat activist who um, started, who founded the summer school, says he plans to do another one and another one and make it an annual event now because there was a real energy in the room. Real, it was a big um, hall. It wasn't just a you know uh, twenty thirty people. I'd say there were over a hundred people at it. Um, and um, he plans to have, say, more summer schools like this and to bring in men, but to look at it, look at working class issues and look at the, the issues and the obstacles affecting people on the ground. And is that specifically arising out of the fact that events like the, the one which Connor is at, I don't have those voices? Yes. And, um, and uh, Mick Cole's explicit that it was founded in reaction to the McGill summer schools um, and all that controversy around the fact that there were so few women at it and it was a, an alternative voice. And it was, you know, deep in the heart of working class Dublin. Um, people were able to get to it. Danielle Carroll's family were able to get to it. And, and, uh, and you know, there were cake and coffee laid on, but there was no big um, fuss in terms of meals or drinks or anything like that. It was very much a kind of working summer There isn't in Glenties either to be fair in my experience you go to the Highlands Hotel for a hang sandwich and a pint It's about the height of that right yeah. <laughs> Well I don't know I've never been The thing about the summer school yeah, is Fick, like you go know, ahead. What, what Kitty says the summer school that she attended at the weekend is it seems to be more in line with what I would have traditionally seen summer schools to be which is a forum in which people can discuss ideas and issues that may not get ventilation and day to day political debate or public discourse that's what they used to be. And I think what Connor has said about McGill now is very correct, that what McGill is now is basically just the same issues being talked about by the same people, the same year after year after year. Because there is a sense that it's always the same theme, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's always like a broken republic, wither Ireland, the European Union, etc., etc. You, know, et you could nearly write the script every year. And I think what they had 10 years ago, as Connor alluded to, was it, it was something of a, a place where... The senior politicians uh, would go and road test ideas so you would get cabinet ministers who would say things and they could go well I'm just saying it McGill I'm thinking aloud I'm not, this isn't necessarily government policy or my policy and that's gone now as well because it's lost its luster so it's not really either a place where alternative ideas and issues are trashed out nor a place where people who hold public office can go and say things they may feel freer to say than they do, would do in usual day to day politics so I think its relevance is questionable now. Um, the issue this week over the overwhelmingly male uh, representation on panels and discussion, I think, probably will be one of the main issues in perhaps, I wouldn't say finishing it off, but, you know, it, it didn't do it any favours at a time when the summer school, people were openly questioning, like, what's it for? Less ministers going up, the same people year after year, the same teams year after year. It wasn't a... Like, I remember being up there myself one year covering it a couple of years ago and people were reminiscing, kind of just reminiscing about the, the, the times in 10 years ago. But people were reminiscing at a time when it genuinely, genuinely was a forum for alternative debate. Like, you know, it was 
near the border. It was up at, up in the north. It was a time of the troubles. It was like, you know, there were really edgy things happening up there. People were come to discuss big issues about the north, about politics in Ireland, you know. That just faded away now. It's the establishment up there and it's not even relevant anymore. So I think the summer school that Kitty talks about is is in the tradition of summer schools in, in a way and perhaps is where they can be reinvigorated well, that, that, or renewed. That, that's an interesting point and I'll come back to Kitty on that. But first, uh, Connor, can I ask you, is there a discussion either in the formal sessions themselves or around them in the in the Highlands Hotel or the bar across the road um, about this sort of existential challenge which has been mounted to McGill this year because arising largely out of the you know the gender issues where it came under really severe criticism, but perhaps then arising more out of the kind of stuff that Vic is talking about, you're talking about as well, that it's it's lost its sheen, maybe needs to either reinvent itself or move off the stage. There's no, there's little official discussion on it. Um, now that said, there is a session planned for half eight on Friday, which is hardly ideal uh, about, um, I'll just get the title for you, but this is the session that they set up in response uh, to the gender controversy. Um, and in fairness to Joe Mulholland, the organiser, he has made a big effort to get more women in and um, it's a significant amount of more women have been added. So at half eight, we're going at Friday. We're going to be discussing women in Irish public life. Why are organisations such as McGill still trapped in a world of gender stereotypes? So at least there is a bit of self awareness there. But and but I'll just show you the forward as well here to this year's uh, uh, in this year's brochure. They are conscious of the controversy, and they probably are conscious of the fact that it has lost some of its luster. Um, the forward says, during the recent controversies surrounding the McGill Summer School, a headline in the Irish Times read, McGill Summer School ridiculously out of date. One only has to read the archives and publications of McGill for the past decade or so to know that this is far from the truth. Uh, furthermore, one only has to glance at the programme of this summer school to know how much this forum is focused, not only on the present, but even more so in the future. And that's true to a certain extent, but as Fake said there, I think, they're the same questions that have been asked over and over by the same people. And everything is coming at it from a very centrist uh, point of view, left and right of centre, but the centre nonetheless. There's a lot of existential dread about the rise of populism, the rise of demagogues on the left and the right, Trump, Brexit. But it's all coming at it from the same point of view. And there's no one on the, the panels who are actually from the, the, the left or the right in that way. And there's some people in the audience um uh, of that persuasion who do make their voices known but they're you know they don't get applauded it's it's pat cox who gets applauded when he praises emmanuel uh, macron as you know the savior of of centrist politics um and brendan halligan um who, who had a similar speech yeah Connor, can i ask you about brendan halligan because you reported on his speech it was a couple of days ago now and essentially as, as I understand from your report, what Brendan Halligan said was the traditional divisions between social democratic parties like the Labour Party and Christian democratic parties like Fine Gael are over. There's just one big centre democratic resistance against the extremes of left and right and we should get rid of those parties. Doesn't that in a way sum up the problem with McGill, that analysis? Yeah, possibly. In fairness, now, I actually thought that was one of the best speeches we've had so far because in the best traditions of McGill, it was putting forward this slightly mad idea um, and seeing if it, if it flew or not. Um, so, but, you know, the, the fact is that, yeah, they're calling for a, a, a centrist revival um, absolutely sums it up. And, and, and that went down very well in the room. Um, and, and he got a lot of praise for it, and rightly so, because it was, it was very well put together argument. But yeah, listen, 
you know, I, we were discussing last night. Why don't we get the the rabble rousers, the disruptors who are who are causing all this um, discussions to take place? Get them up to talk. Now, maybe they're being invited and they're not responding. You know, maybe they don't want to come. You know, we were saying, just imagine if they got a uh, Steve Bannon up here. Yeah, that had really set the cat among the pigeons. But the thing about McGill is, it is a long way to go. Like it is incredibly long. Like you know, four sessions a day for five days. Who wants to do that? Like, and even if you look closer to home, the from a purely like you know punter friendlyish point of view, the Kennedy Summer School in Wexford seems to have kind of robbed its robbed its lunch because it has a bit of mix of discussion about politics. You know, yeah, I'm going to stand up for Donny here and say there's always there's always good reasons to go. There to is, but like you know, sorry, like you're not going to sit there for four or five, like eleven in the morning to eleven at night. I've sat in that hall and it's an endurance test. You either do a one-day job like Kitty was at where it's accessible in the city centre. It's intense discussion of, you know, issues you do not hear about day to day. Or if you're going to go for the McGill route, you know, that the, the one in Wexford has a mix of, you know, lectures, entertainment, you know, kind of public interviews, a very modern take on it. It's the same centrist type of crowd that goes there. But McGill has fallen behind at times because it didn't make an effort to bring itself up to speed so there was never any sessions over the last 10 years about okay why is politics changing and let's talk to the people who are changing politics rather than enclaving ourselves within this you know let's protect the centre mould Kitty one of the things that strikes me I completely take Connor's point about it would be great to get some of the voices that were at the event you were at at the weekend who up in McGill necessarily to be referred to as rabble rousers no no it. no not all of them anyway and um that, uh, but that equally, it would be good, I think, for events like the one you were at mm. the weekend to have some of the centrist voices too. So you actually have um, some actual disagreement mm. because it seems to me, would I be would I be right to say that mostly people agreed with each other at the event in Rialto? Yeah, yeah, mostly. Yes, I mean, I suppose, I suppose that this was its first outing. It was organised sure. with sort of with two two and two months' notice. Um, and maybe to some extent it was a sort of um, a, th- a thinking session for people to m- sort of network and um, get to know each other fr- from a perspective which is trying to challenge the establishment voice um, and and how to get those voices to come through more. And I can tell you the um, ability and passion of the speakers there would be, I'm sure, very a welcome addition to uh, all women to Women McGill Summer School. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it, if it is to, if the aim of it is to um, engender political discussion and look at society and how things are, then yes, more, more voices from the other side probably would be welcome. Because to be fair, just having a bunch of people giving off about neoliberal policies mm. is all very well, mm. but it doesn't actually get you anywhere. You'd be better off, well, better off having an actual disagree, public disagreement and debate about those policies yeah, with somebody who... Yeah, but, but I mean, it's p- part of the point of this summer school was... Was about um, voices that never, very rarely get to articulate themselves, um, just sort of to a wider, to a wide audience, or to to an audience outside their immediate NGO group or kind of who they're talking to, but um, and to and to think together about how to get their voices and to, and to look at the obstacles, I suppose, the systemic obstacles um, facing women and particularly women from disadvantaged areas in. Um, in getting through the system and navigating the system and that's whether you're looking for a council house or whether you're um, trying to negotiate a world where sexual violence, you know, is is experienced more by women. So in some ways, I think it it was a 
more of a thinking session than necessarily one that wants to immediately change the world. Now, maybe that will come as it develops. No, and, 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 there's bring... a, and, there, and there's a place for that mm. anyway. I suppose my only concern would be that we see, I mean, there's, there's, there's an increased appetite for political discussion mm. and we see that in podcasts yeah. all over the world and everything like that. But on the other side as well, there's a phenomenon which is siloization, yeah. where people yeah. who agree with each other just get into a room or get into a podcast and just agree with mm. each other about how terrible the other lot are. Yeah, that just struck me just listening to this exchange that, you know, this kind of, you know, people retrenching into their own comfort zones, you know, it would be great if there was some some forum that, that people came together, like people from the, the Summer School in Rialto, people from McGill, people from the one in Wexford, and talked to each other rather than just kind of, you know, defining themselves against yeah. what's there. Yeah. So Rialto is defined against McGill, McGill is defined against everything else that's set, threatening the centre of politics. So because why is, what would what, work is, you know, if, if someone, if, if the the, the working class summer school or the, mm. whether that's in Rialto or Moy Ross or Rahoon, Rahin, wherever, um, invites people to mm. come and, and they'll talk together. But I think if it's, it's, uh, if it's a summer school that's being hosted by establishment bodies and mm. brings a working class voice into, you know, maybe be challenged in some way, but from a, from a working class perspective or disadvantaged perspective, the power is very much on the other side. So they need to take back a bit of the power and be the hosts and maybe bring people in. And because to be fair, it is important to say that, like, if you look at somebody, I mean, you talked about how this arose out of some discussions that were happening around this issue and some people put it together presumably on an entirely voluntary mm. basis over the last couple of months. That's largely true of McGill as yeah. well and the work which Joe Mulholland puts mm. in and gets, you know, not very much thanks for, you know, certainly certainly this year is also unpaid and he does it, you know, you know, he does it he does it for for good reasons. But I still wonder Fick, about this um do we pay too much attention, for example, to McGill in particular? I say we, we say the media, because there's an, there's, a, there's an issue here, Kitty's talking about working class voices aren't heard in the media. There's an issue that we send, poor old Connor, who's still on the line, I'll come back to him in a minute, we send him up there and he has to sit there for 12 hours a day and it all ends up on the pages of the Irish Times. Is that a city season page-filling exercise or does it represent the fact that we focus far too much on certain voices and not on others? I think it's mostly a silly season uh page-filling page exercise. But I think the reason that media paid attention to it was because people who were in important positions went up to say different things. And that's kind of fading away now. So I would imagine that the you know, resultant media coverage will also fade away in the years ahead. But that, I think that is the main reason why people went to McGill, because you're likely to get a minister saying X, Y, or Z, or a Taoiseach saying something, and it would be a news line that would lead a quiet news day on a, you know, McGill always positioned itself in the week or the fortnight after the doll rose, knowing full well that people would still be around, but there would be a quiet uh, news agenda. So it's mostly it's mostly news values, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there were summer schools that mix both the attributes of, of, of McGill and others, then, you know, you would have to pay equal attention to them. Right, we should leave it there. But Connor, first of all, I just want to ask you, have you managed to get for a swim down to Port New? Uh, no, that's on the schedule for tomorrow. So we'll see if I get on tonight. And, uh, <laughs> might try tomorrow. Yes, indeed. And that is the best part of it. But that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. So thanks to Fia Kelly, to Kitty Holland and to Connor Gallagher for joining us today. Thanks also to our producer, Declan Conlon and our engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember that you can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. And you can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. You can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can always find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.